Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I do welcome you this morning to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is named, we'll see it where we're going to be in our text this morning, why it's named that, but as Jesus rode a borrowed donkey into Jerusalem, the the crowds came and they laid palm fronds out, a sign of royalty as he rode into Jerusalem as a king on that Sunday, and he would then just a few short days later be crucified as a criminal. And uh, the opinion and the approval and the acceptance of the crowd was unbelievably fickle, but we call it Palm Sunday. It's that Sunday when Jesus, those that were with our group in Israel last year, we walked down that path on the Mount of Olives there. You can see Jerusalem where he would have uh, ridden that hill, that he would have ridden that borrowed donkey down, and, and they cried out and cried out, Hosanna, and they were giving him praise. And many of those same people a few days later would be crying out, crucify, crucify him. And of course, next Sunday, we, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, or what we call Easter, and we're celebrating His resurrection, and it was that, that Sunday before the resurrection um, that was Palm Sunday. And every year in our church on Palm Sunday, we always have a communion service. And we're stepping out of our Genesis series. We'll be preaching from the passage where Palm Sunday is this morning. And then at the end of the service, we'll be um, celebrating communion together. Um, And we do that because it was that week before Jesus' death, what we call the Last Supper, where he instituted communion, where he broke the bread for his disciples and he he gave the juice and told them, this is in remembrance of me, which is a strange, strange thing to say while he's sitting right there. But of course, he understood that he was about to die and that it would be instituted for the church to celebrate communion. So that is what our service will be this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter number 12. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I'd encourage you to follow along. If you're on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. John chapter number 12, the account of Palm Sunday. And from this account, and from this passage, I will bring you a message entitled, Life's Two Most Important Questions. We're going to look and see in this passage where Jesus' teaching and His life, really, we can infer He he presented here two questions to those that were gathered on Palm Sunday. We're going to see these things together. As, As you read through John, we're in John 12 today. John has 21 chapters. As you're reading the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels. The Gospel simply means good news. They are the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth and gave His life to die for you and for me, was buried, and then rose again. That's the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give an account of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. When you're reading John, there are 21 chapters, but about half of the book of John covers Jesus walked this earth for 33 years. About half of John covers about a week of those 33 years. And so when you come to the last 10 or so chapters of John, half of that book is covering the final week or so. Maybe if you count Lazarus' um, resurrection and things, John 11, it might get into a couple of weeks, but you're, you're, you're looking at his last month on earth here uh, as he walked on earth. And that's where we find ourselves. And what's happening on Palm Sunday 
On this Sunday, it is the time of the Passover feast. The Passover, a Jewish feast where they would commemorate and celebrate that time when God delivered them miraculously, when a lamb was slain, a a spotless lamb without blemish was slain while they were enslaved in Egypt, while they were living in bondage, a spotless lamb was slain, and the blood was applied to to the heart of their home, if you will, to the doorposts of their home. And when that happened, the death angel passed over their house. They received salvation, redemption, God redeemed them out of Egypt, and so to this day, Jews will celebrate Passover when the death angel passed over their family. And you remember, you recall Pharaoh and all of those that did not apply the blood to the doorposts of their house, what came to their home? Death. Death of the firstborn. We're going to find out tonight, so I won't spend a lot of time on this. We're going to have a very special service tonight from 5 to 7, a Seder meal, where we will get to partake in a traditional Jewish Passover meal. And come hungry, it's a full meal. There is no cost for that. There's chicken and potatoes and different things tonight. And we have a gentleman that runs a Christian ministry, he's a Jewish Jewish descent, runs a Christian ministry, and he will explain from 5 to 7 how that Passover points to Christ. But I think you can see it. What did we need? We needed a spotless lamb whose blood would be shed to place upon our homes to bring life and not death to us. And we'll see that in more detail tonight. So Passover, where where we're about to read, it was Passover time in Jerusalem. And, and during the festivals, these, these feasts, these times where they would remember these big moments in Jewish history, um, Jer- Jerusalem would swell in population. So Jesus is here, he's coming on a donkey right there, right a few days before the Passover meal, which is what we call the Last Supper, that was the time for Passover, Jesus and his disciples, they were celebrating Passover, but then he said, you're doing this in remembrance of me, not of a lamb in Egypt, of me, the Savior of the world. And and the uh, scholars tell us that um, probably Jerusalem's population around the time of Christ was probably in the range of 25 or 30,000 people, not a real big town. But at Passover, at these feasts, it would swell by four or five times. If you've been to Jerusalem, it's not a real big, old town Jerusalem's not a real big area. And so you can imagine 150,000 people there. Every room was booked. Every, uh, they had camp, campsites and people staying all over the place. Just imagine with our infrastructure, Orange County, I think it's about 3 million people. Imagine in all of Orange County, if that swelled over the course of a couple of days to 15 million people, it would have been a, it would be crazy around here. Well, that's how it felt in Jerusalem. And so there's these people coming from all over to celebrate Passover. That's where we find ourselves, the first 11 verses of chapter number 12. It is Saturday night. We will not read those 11 verses, but it's Saturday night, the day before Palm Sunday. Jesus comes to Bethany, which is right there on the Mount of Olives. I can picture it there. And that's the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, um, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, people that he loved very much. And he has a meal with them. And then we come to verse number 12, look at what we call Palm Sunday, John 12, verse 12. On the next day, what's the next two words there, church? On the next day, what? Much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And this is the part of the Palm Sunday message where I have to give my obligatory Thompson family Palm Sunday story. 
I tell it every year, I think. When Trey was three or four, he was in the children's class, and somebody was teaching him there. And we got in the car after church, as we often do, and said, what did you learn in church today? And I think we were passing, and they said, oh, there's a palm tree, just like they did for Jesus. When he came out, I said, oh, did you learn that today? He said, yes. And then Trey shouted out from the back seat in his little car seat, and he said, and they all cried, Susanna, Susanna. It was Hosanna. Hosanna is what they cried there. Blessed is the King of Israel. He's coming in as a king that cometh in the name of the Lord. And we see in verse number 12 on the next day, that Palm Sunday, much people. Why, why were there many people around? And when they heard of Jesus, why were they so interested to come near? The passage tells us why were people drawn to Jesus? It's really some of the same reasons that some of us are here in church today, or maybe those that are watching online or that might tune in on an archived video or podcast in the future. Well, why is there an interest? Why, why do people get near the things of God? Why are we here? What are those people that are, were near him, the much people, the great multitudes, why did they come? And some of the same reasons why we come. You see in verse 11, some came because they believed. Verse 11 says, because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So what, what, the group, what was this group made up of that came near to Jesus? Some, there were some that believed. And then we see in verse 13, some praised. They cried, Hosanna. Now this was fickle praise, because many of the same ones would cry, crucify him. And, and by the way, there are times where I think you and I feel like, well, being close to Jesus is just coming and singing two or three or four songs of praise that we enjoy on a Sunday morning, and then we go live our lives, and it's fickle praise. We give him an hour on Sunday morning, but he doesn't get any other part of the rest of our lives, the rest of our week. Oh, they praised him on Sunday morning, Hosanna, Hosanna, but then by the end of the week, they're shouting for his death. Be careful, Christian, that we're not cultural Christians that come and hear some of our favorite songs, maybe, or some that aren't our favorite songs, and hear a pastor preach, and we give an hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning, and then he gets nothing of the rest of our lives. But some were there because, and some in that group, some believed and some praised. Some were confused. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, these things understood not his disciples at the first. They didn't understand what he was doing when he found that, that young colt and was riding in. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written on him, of him, and that they had done these things unto him. Now, a couple of thoughts here. Number one, I'm encouraged that the disciples, even at the end of being with Jesus for three years, were still confused about some things. Because sometimes, as we just say, I don't know what he's doing. And, and it can be confused. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. His own disciples. I also like in that verse, it's not my message, but I also like that later on they understood it a little bit better. It started to make sense. And stay faithful and walk with God. And you know, I'm not saying you'll have every answer you need before you go to heaven. I'm not saying that. But often, times of great confusion and doubt, if you'll just stay faithful and stay where you're supposed to be and keep doing what you're supposed to do, you'll come out on the other side of that and you'll look back and say, okay, that, that makes a little more sense. God, you are working in that way, and you were doing that there. And, and we see that later on, they remembered, oh, okay, that made more sense what God was doing there, but some were confused. Verse 18, we see some were curious. Verse 18, for this cause the people also met him. Why? For that they heard that he had done this miracle. Which miracle? Raising Lazarus from the dead. The Bible tells us that multitudes followed him during his earthly ministry just because it was kind of the biggest show in town. It was kind of cool. What, what miracle is this guy going to do next? 
Everywhere he went, there were crazy stories of redemption and, and life change and impact. And it was, and many followed him because of the wonderful works that he did, not because of who he was. Oh, 2023 believer, let that not be said of us, that we follow him because of the wonderful works he does. But as soon as those works dry up, in our opinion, we walk away from him. Be careful. Be careful that we don't love just the gift, but that we love the giver. Some were curious, who is this guy? And then, verse number 19, we see some were opposed. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Pharisees were religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, and Jesus was really bad for Jewish religious business. He would come into the synagogues preaching their Bible and showing how they had messed everything up with their man-made traditions and man-made preferences and man-made uh, burdens that they had laid on people. And the Pharisees are standing there saying, we're not making any headway. Everybody's going after this guy. We've got to do something. We've got to figure out a way to get him put to death. So that's where we are on Palm Sunday. Multitudes, Jerusalem's population has swelled to four or five times its normal population. People are everywhere. Some of them are there because they believed on him, and he is their savior. Others are there, and it's, it's a casual relationship, but they've offered him praise. Others are there, and they're confused. The ones that have walked with him for three, three years are confused. What is this all about? What's happening here? I don't understand what God's doing. Some were curious. I heard he raised Lazarus. I wonder what's next. And some were opposed. And by the way, I don't know if you find yourself in any one of those places, but if you do, you're in the right spot if you're trying to learn more about Jesus. I want you to see two verses now as our text verses, and then we'll get to, the two, to, to life's two most important questions. Verse number 26, you can read the whole passage for the sake of time. I'm going to pull the, the verses out, and in context, it's all Jesus speaking um, after he's ridden in on his triumphal entry there. Verse 26, uh, I call tri his, his entry in on Palm Sunday, I should say. Verse 26, would you read that aloud with me? Ready? Begin. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. He continues on. He's talking about how he's going to die, and he's talking about some other things. We'll look at a few of these verses as the message continues. But skip down to verse 42, our second text verse, verse 42, and let's read that aloud. Ready? Begin. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Would you underline, if you're in the habit of underlining in your Bible, uh, the two words in verse 26, follow me, follow. And then in verse 42, if you're in the habit of underlining, underline two words, many believed. The word follow and the word believed. And by the way, may I just say this, those that believe should also follow. To be saved is not just a one-time event, and then now, to be saved, your, your salvation is a one-time event, but to be a disciple of Christ is not just a one-time event where you accept Christ as Savior. To be a disciple, a follower of Christ, it's not just a one-time decision, it's a complete lifestyle change. Once we've received new life, we then want to live and walk in newness of life. Following Jesus should change our priorities, it should change our interests, it should change our allegiances. It 
should change our schedules, our budgets, our actions, our thoughts, and everything else about us. I believe one of the scourges of American Christianity is conversion, what we say, profess conversion with no change. We live in, it in, in, at this point, still is considered a Christian nation. You go to the Supreme Court, there are Bible verses everywhere. Our, our money says, in God we trust. Most city councils will open up with prayer across our nation. God is still a part of our culture, and there are many that claim the name of Christ whose lives do nothing to resemble the life of Christ. He said, if you believe, it shouldn't stop there. Our belief in Him should lead to us following him. That salvation decision should lead to a sanctified life change. It should be something that's transforming us into his image. Two of life's most important questions are implied in this passage and in the lives of those that Christ was around in some of his final days on earth. Number one, I believe you can see in this passage the question is all of these different people who are around him, those that believed, those that praised, those that were confused, those that were curious, those that were opposed. I believe the question that Jesus' life um, uh, presented to every person he came across was this, number one, will you believe? And I present that question to you this morning. If you're here and you don't know that Christ is your personal Savior, will you believe? It's the most important question that anyone can answer as it relates to life on this earth and our eternity in heaven or in hell. Will you believe? This was the question that Jesus' entire earthly life and ministry asked. Everywhere he went, people were confronted by this question as they heard him speak and saw him work. Will you believe? And to the Pharisees, he said, will you believe? And, and to, the, to the Gentiles, he said, will you believe? And to the, to the uh, woman at the well, will you believe? And to the tax collector, will you believe? And to the fishermen, will you believe? And to the chief ruler, Will you believe? And by the way, we see in verse 42 that many of them did, those chief rulers, those were Jewish leaders like Nicodemus, um, 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 Joseph of Arimathea, some of these others that were high in the Jewish religion, and they answered and said, yes, we believe. It is the same question that every one of the assembled Jews and Greeks were forced to consider on Palm Sunday as they watched him. Will I believe? I know that many around me are believing in him. Will I believe? And it is the question which I pose to you this morning as you sit in this auditorium or watch online. Will you believe? Why don't we believe? It's really the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Why don't we believe? There's a variety of reasons, but I see three here on this Palm Sunday passage. I would suggest to you, number one, we don't believe because of confusion. Look at verse number 32, please. Verse number 32, Jesus is is speaking of his death. He said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. He's talking about his crucifixion. He's pointing back, I believe, to the, the, uh, the, the serpent, the brazen serpent. This he said, signifying what death he should die, his crucifixion, to be lifted up. He said, if I die, I'm dying for all men. Verse 34, the people answered him, we have heard out of the law, that is the Old Testament, that Christ abideth forever, and how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up, who is the Son of Man? We know about a a prophesied Messiah in the Old Testament, now we're confused by what you're telling us. What do you mean he's got to be lifted up, and who is he? And isn't that the question we all have to ask? What did he ask his disciples? Whom do men say that I am? Well, some think you're a prophet, you're Isaiah, you're you're Elijah. Others think you're John the Baptist. And then what did he say? But whom do you say that I am? What did Peter? 
we say, you're, you're the Lord, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And he says, it's good that you believe that, you said it well. And what is Jesus saying to every one of us, whom do you say that Jesus is? Well, he's a good teacher, he's a prophet, he's, he's a guy that gives us some kind, kind of like Confucius, gives us some good words of wisdom and nuggets to live by. Every one of us has to answer that question in our hearts, who is Jesus? And will you believe? Will you make him your personal savior? Why don't we believe? Sometimes because we're confused. They knew the Old Testament, but they didn't realize the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies was standing right there in front of them. And this is a reality for some today, we're confused. May I say, if you're here today and you're confused about who Jesus is and you've not believed, I'm going to suggest to you that after today, that will not be an adequate excuse. Let me explain why. For one, I'm going to explain here briefly in a summary form who Jesus is according to the Bible. And then secondly, I'm going to put an offer out, and I mean this, to anybody that is confused about who Jesus is, I will stay after church for as long as you would like and talk with you. I'll stay until 5 o'clock tonight for our Seder meal to answer questions, to take you through the Bible with any confusion that you have. Why did some not believe? Because they were confused. They didn't understand. They'd heard a lot of different things. And there might be some sitting in this room like that today. You say, I don't really know who Jesus is, and I want to tell you who he is, and then I want to tell you, and I mean this sincerely, I want to tell you that I would be glad to stay with anybody that would like to after church as long as you would like to talk about that so that you cannot say the reason I did not believe is because I didn't understand what the Bible taught about Jesus. Who is Jesus, and what is the good news of the gospel of Christ? May I say to you this morning, church, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who is Jesus? He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life for 33 years. He was crucified on the cross of Calvary. He shed his perfect blood as the full and final payment for all sin of all mankind. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who is Jesus, and why did he come? He came so that you might know love, mercy, forgiveness, and eternal life, and so that you wouldn't have to pay for your own sins in an eternal hell. Paul told us in Romans, for the wages or payment of our sin is death, eternal death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if any of that is confusing or you have more questions, I mean that, please let me stay and talk with you for as long as you would like. Why? Because I don't want you to be able to say, I didn't believe because I was confused. Why didn't they believe and why don't we believe? Number one, sometimes because we're confused. Number two, what do I see in this passage? Because of procrastination. Look at verse 35. Would you read verse 35 aloud with me? Verse 35, ready, begin. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, while you have the opportunity that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. What is he saying? He knows he's about to die, and they're trying to answer the question, will I believe? Will I give my life to him? Will I believe in him as Savior, and will I follow him with my life? And what does Jesus say? He said, you don't have as 
long as you think to believe in me. You don't have as long as you think. You have the light for a little while. In fact, for Jesus, it was going to be hours, not weeks. You have me for hours or a couple of days, not weeks. And he's saying, while you have the light, walk in the light. They would have understood this a little better than us because we always have a flashlight on our phone and headlights on our cars and we, we light street lights on the street. But in those days, you had to get where you were going before the darkness came. Because if not, you could get completely lost because you didn't have adequate light. And may I just say, we've got to get where we're going to Jesus before the darkness comes, before the darkness sets on our life, before we die. Why, why don't we believe? Sometimes it's because we say, I've got more time. There is coming a day for all of us when we will no longer have the opportunity to believe, yet we so often say, tomorrow, after I get through this, then we'll get serious about God, then I'll really dig into that, then I'll really study. When I get a little past this, and then I'll really get serious about being a disciple of Christ. We say, soon, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm really going to get serious and study and clean up my act. Second Corinthians chapter number 6, Paul said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're here, and maybe you've been, this is your first time here, maybe you've been come for weeks or months or years, but you, between you and God, you know in your heart of hearts you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. What are you waiting for? Yet a little while, you have the light. Walk in the light while you have the light. Don't put it off any longer. There will never be a better day to trust Him in the past two weeks. Multiple people that I knew and loved have entered eternity, several completely unexpectedly. Our missionaries to Honduras, I mentioned, had a 19-year-old son, Jaden. There he is on his 19th birthday two months ago, giving his mom a hug at college. They had no idea that that would be the last time she would see him on earth as, as uh, uh, that picture there, and she posted on his birthday. I don't know exactly when it was taken, but Christmas would be the last time they would see him on earth. Early Monday morning, I got a text message when I woke up on Monday. Where'd they go? Jeff and Jan. I got a text message. I asked the church last Sunday night to pray for your dear mom. And on Monday morning, I woke up to a text that said, after seven days, only seven days, she was in church seven days before this, before last Sunday, the Sunday before. Two weeks ago today, she was in church. And late Sunday night, early, I think one o'clock in the morning, Monday morning, she went to heaven. We all saw her the week before. We had no idea that Shirley would go to heaven that day. This past Monday, I think we're all aware of three precious elementary children and three staff members of a Christian school that went to work and school to start a new week and never returned home due to the tragic, murderous actions of a deceived, evil woman. Last week, a pastor in Oregon whom I've heard preach on multiple occasions, I, I've, I've, in, I've known his children and been involved in ministry with some of his kids. He passed away unexpectedly, I think right around age 60, due to a, a heart issue. Just yesterday, at the age of 64, our missionary to Tijuana, who was sent out of Bethel Baptist Church right here in Santa Ana, California, went home to be with the Lord, leaving his wife, three boys, daughters-in-laws, grandchildren, and a large ministry God had used them to build in Tijuana. All of that in the last 10 days or so, and of course, other than the Nashville, all people that I personally knew, many that I loved and admired and respected from the age of nine up to the age of 96, and many ages in between. What am I trying to say? None of us know when God will call us home. Will you believe that day is coming for all of us? Number three, why don't we believe? Number three, because of stubbornness. 
Look at verse 37, please. Verse 37. But though he had done, what are the next two words? How many miracles? Though he had done what, church? So many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. So many. Many of these people had literally seen him raise Lazarus from the dead a few days earlier. They had seen so many miracles. They had seen the water turned to wine, the feeding of the 5,000, the deaf made to hear, the lame made to walk, the blind made to see, the dead made to live, and yet they believed not. What is it going to take for you finally to humble yourself, to say yes to God, and to say, I believe? Although they had seen so many miracles, they believed not. Stubbornness. Well, he hasn't done enough. He hasn't proven enough. Well, I still have some questions. Well, what more does he have to do? They had seen him work in ways unlike anybody had ever worked, and yet they believed not, the Bible says. What's it going to take for you to finally say yes to God? It's always a new excuse, a new question that hasn't been answered to your satisfaction, a a new reason why it's not the right time. Church family, the, the person that's listening here or listening online, don't harden your heart. Today, the writer of Hebrews says, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, that's the children of Israel when they provoked God, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. I said, they do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren. Take heed, learn from their example, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Have you allowed your heart to get hardened? Well, I just don't think a, a loving God would let this happen, and well, God didn't answer that prayer here. Well, I asked Him to do this, and He didn't come through. We've seen so many miracles, the miracle of life. You just study all around you, the miracle of creation, the miracle of the preservation of God's holy word for us, that we can hold it in our hands, in our language. So many miracles, and yet in our own stubbornness, we shake our fist at a holy God and say, I will not believe. So on this Palm Sunday, I ask you the same question that the multitudes were faced with on the first Palm Sunday. Will you believe? Number two, what's the second of life's most important questions? Will you follow? You say you believe. Is there any evidence that Christ has changed your life? Are you following Christ? Two chapters later, as they prepare to eat the Last Supper, just a few days after John 12 and John 14, what did Jesus tell his disciples? If you love me, keep my what, church? If you love me, if you say you believe, if you say we have a relationship, you will follow me. It will change how you live. If you believe, will you believe? And then the next question is, will you follow? I didn't say, will you go to church an hour a week? I didn't say, will you put a few bucks in the offering plate to placate God? I I didn't say, if people ask you if you're a Christian, will you say yes? I said, will you follow whatever that takes? And what does that look like? Sometimes what that looks like, it says, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that look like sometimes? Sometimes believing in God and following him looks like a cross. What's a cross? It's heavy. It's painful. It hurts. It's, 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 you don't understand it, you don't like it, you don't want it. And Jesus said to follow me. I know that's not the prosperity gospel that fills stadiums, 
I, I know that's not the, the, the feel-good, health and wealth, name it, claim it gospel that people flog to hear, but that is the gospel that Christ preached. If you love me, keep my commandments. You following? You believe in me? If you believe, will you follow? Will you make the changes, whatever it costs? What did James, the half-brother of Jesus, have to say about following Jesus? He said, thou believest, there's belief, that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe. They believe there's a God. They know. And tremble. They know his power. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works, this is not a, sal- a, a work salvation. Do not misunderstand me. You do not have to do good works in order to be saved. But true salvation, the Bible says, will lead us to do good works because we are saved. We do good works from salvation, not for salvation. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love, and by the way, you can't do anything to earn God's love. All of our sins, all of our righteousnesses is filthy rags, but once we're saved, he says, take up your cross and follow me. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, faith, belief without works, following is dead. Show me your faith by your, by, by your works, I'll show you my, he said, you, you have faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. It's an evidence that I believe. And why don't we follow? Why, don't we, why aren't we willing to make the changes that the Bible wants us to make in our lives? To do the things that the Bible commands us to do. Why aren't we willing to do that? We see two reasons in this passage, and I'll wrap it up, and we'll get to the communion portion of our passage, of our service. Number one, I see in verse 42, why don't we follow? Number one, because of fear. Would you read verse 42 aloud with me? Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Understand what's happening here. The chief rulers are chief rulers. They are people that are in leadership, religious leadership in the Jewish religion. And they knew this guy has answers that we don't have. And I don't mean that irreverently when I say this guy, but they knew this Jesus is the fulfillment of all the stuff we've been teaching. And many, the Bible says, of the chief rulers believed. Many, and we see that with Nicodemus, he comes to believe. We see that with several, the Bible tells us, but because of fear of what others might think and the cost it might cost them and the way it might affect their careers and the difficulties and the, 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 the ramifications of being a bold witness for Jesus, they believed, but they didn't tell anybody. They didn't live any differently. They kept clocking in at the synagogue. Why? Because they didn't want to lose all those friends. And they didn't want to lose that influence. And they didn't want to lose that power. And they didn't want to lose that money. And they had worked really hard to build up a really respectable life. And following Jesus was really uncertain. And what they had here was really safe. And you know why some of us, we believe but we don't follow? You know why? I think it's like them. We're scared what following Jesus might really look like. Johnny, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. I remember a conversation a couple years ago we had, and you told me we talked for hours over the course of several years about Jesus, about what he was doing in your life. And I remember you saying, I know what it means, but I'm not ready yet because I know once I say yes to him, it's going to change everything. Do you remember that conversation? I don't know if you remember that conversation. It's going to change everything. And there's honesty. I'm not sure I'm ready to do this because if I really 
give my, it's going to change the way I think. It's going to change the way I approach things. It's going to change my heart. It's going to change my purpose, my passion. And it's the same thing here. I'm not sure. We believe, I believe, but I don't know if I'm ready to follow because of the fear of what will it cost me? What will people think about me? What will I lose? How will it affect my life? What will I miss out on? Young people sometimes don't follow God for fear of being made fun of or fear of missing out on some worldly pleasures, fear of being different. Older people sometimes don't follow God for fear of what it might cost us. We think our way is better. Our plans are more fulfilling. Our pleasures will bring more satisfaction. What I'm saying this morning, follow him today. Don't be like the chief rulers that believed but wouldn't follow because of fear. Quit living in fear of what what giving God everything might look like in your life and just say, yes, secondly, why don't we follow? I see in verse 43, because of selfish interests. Would you read verse 43 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Doesn't take too long on the news, and I I don't use the pulpit as a political soapbox. It's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the Bible, and where the Bible intersects with politics, I will speak into those issues. But it doesn't take too long to look at the news or to look at social media to find out those that are living closest to the truths of Scripture are not going to be receiving the praise of men in our society. And those that are living farthest from Scripture get their visibility days. And they get their praise, and they get the president saying they're the soul of this nation. And those that follow Christ and lose their lives while they go to a Christian school get little to no recognition on their faith. Doesn't take much to look to see that following God and living in accordance to His Word is not going to garner you the praise of men. Will we follow anyways? Do you know anybody that's chosen not to fully follow Christ because of selfish interests? Can you think of anybody in your life? Seriously. Where they chose not to follow Him because of maybe their career, maybe hobby, their hobby, maybe other priorities. Have you ever been that believer who isn't following Christ as you should because of selfish interests? You want your pet sin, you want your pleasure, you want your priorities, you want your power, you want your position, you want your finances, whatever that means. And if I give my life to God in this way, it's going to affect me there and there and there and there. Forget it. You know what? I look around, seems like, seems like there's a whole lot of people in Orange County going to church an hour a week and then doing nothing else for God the rest of the week, and they seem to be doing fine. Maybe that's what I'll do too. Why don't we follow him? Because of selfish interests. Simply put, we like the life we've crafted better than the life we think God will give us. What we're saying is when we do that is we know better than God does. I'll trust you for salvation. I'll trust you for eternity, but I don't trust you for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years here. I'll trust you for my eternity, but I get to choose where I live and who I marry and what job I get and how I live and I get to choose all, I want to do all these things that make sense to me, not taking into consideration anything about the principles and truths of God's word impacting our daily lives. What What we're saying is we like the life we've crafted better than the life we think God will give us. So this morning I ask you life's two most important questions. Will you believe? Have you believed? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? If you're here this morning and you haven't, make today the day of your salvation. 
And then if you have believed, my second question is this. Will you follow? No, really follow. Not throw a palm frond down on Sunday morning and then reject him on Friday. No, really follow. Take up your cross and follow him. Whatever it means. Whatever it costs. Whatever changes you need to make, whatever relationships you need to cut off, whatever priorities you need to change, Christ, you are my life. I will follow you. So we see him. We see some following. We see some believing. We see some doing neither here in the passage on Palm Sunday. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.